Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to today's episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I'm absolutely thrilled for this episode, which is the first true episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast. In episode one, you heard Chris Knutson, my co-host, and I talk a little bit about our plan for the show and how we hope that it can help you succeed as a civil engineer. And Chris will be a periodic host on the show. He's not here with me today. I'm flying solo on this one. But... We do both have a chance to travel a lot, and we get to go to some cool places, and Chris is actually in the process of transitioning over to Europe, so we're hoping that we can bring that into the show as well, because civil engineering is global, and sometimes to really experience something, you need to see it. You need to see the project, see the bridge, see the roadway, see the drainage structure, whatever it is. So we hope to be able to go out, maybe see some of those things, and bring them onto the show here and really help you to um, get a global view of the of what civil engineering is, but also help you succeed. And in today's show, we're gonna, we are going to transition into our typical civil engineering podcast episode format, which we'll have this brief intro that I'm doing right now, followed by the civil engineering project of the week segment. And today's segment, we're going to feature the Brooklyn Bridge, and then we're going to move into our civil engineering conversation of the week, for which today we have an awesome guest, Amanda Huffman, who will tell her story of how, as a civil engineer in the military, she transformed from a very quiet individual into an engineering leader, really prompted by her tour overseas in the Middle East. And at the very end of the show, we ask our guest what we call civil engineering career elevator advice. So essentially, what critical piece of advice would they give to a civil engineer if they met a civil engineer in an elevator and had about 30 seconds? And I think you'll find this short segment to be fascinating. The show notes for today's show will be located at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Just click listen to the latest and look for episode number two. The show notes will contain a summary of the key points discussed in the episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that might be mentioned during the episode. Again, the show notes will be located at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Just click listen to the latest and look for episode number two. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. So today's Civil Engineering Project of the Week is none other than the Brooklyn Bridge. Now, in the first few episodes of the Civil Engineering Podcast, we will feature well-known projects. However, ultimately, we want to feature your projects. You may submit your project at any time at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Just click the red submit your project button and you'll actually be able to check an option if you're interested in possibly coming on the show and talking about the project. And again, the idea here is that there's civil engineers all over the world that can learn from each other on mistakes that were made on projects or ways that they saved money on, on a budget or time or whatever the case may be. So we want to kind of connect the dots here and help an engineer sitting somewhere maybe in Europe help an engineer in the U.S. because they were able to get a new material or whatever the case may be. Again, this week's project is the Brooklyn Bridge, which is really an iconic structure that connects the boroughs of Manhattan and Brooklyn. I've driven over it many times, and I feel lucky that I've been able to do that, and I do hope to walk it one day, which I haven't. 
I'm going to talk just a little bit about the project, summarize a little bit some of the challenges that went into the construction of it and some of the benefits really to society that it provides. The kind of the mind behind the Brooklyn Bridge is John Roebling. I'm sure if you're a civil engineer, you've probably heard that name. I actually was so interested in John Roebling. I visited the Roebling Roebling Museum in Trenton, New Jersey, and my other podcast, the Engineering Career Coach podcast, I spent two episodes interviewing a John Roebling historian, and I will link to those episodes in this the show notes for this episode if you want to check that out. It's really detailed about John Roebling, about his life. Uh, very interesting. But today, let's focus more on the project itself and some of the, the features of it. The, the, the bridge itself has a main span of almost 1,600 feet, and it was actually the longest suspension bridge in the world at the time it was built at almost 3,500 feet, 3,460 feet to be exact. The budget, the construction budget for this project, and I know you're going to laugh when you hear this, was $1.5 million, and the project ended up costing $15 million, which is approximately $320 million in today's dollars. So it's good to give you that comparison so you can understand the magnitude of it. The time of construction, the project started in the late 19, uh, sorry, late 1860s to the early 1880s. It was officially completed May 24th, 1883 for a total construction time of 14 years. It is an iconic bridge that goes over the East River in New York City. It, the, the granite towers and the steel cables have just offered this view, and I'm looking at it right now because I have, an, I have a, a landscape kind of view of it in my office uh, that I'm staring up at. It's, it's beautiful. It's kind of been that, that image of the city for, for a long time, and it was not an easy project to build. There was a lot of challenges with this bridge. It was the first steel wire suspension bridge constructed, and the first one where they used these explosives in this underwater foundation system, which we know as a caisson. But, you know, at the time they were discovering these things, it was very difficult because they had to dig, you know, excavate in the riverbed. So they installed these massive wooden boxes, which again, we know as caissons today. I actually got to see this when I went to the Roebling Museum. They have the full-scale models of this, which is amazing. You can see the workers down in these boxes. You can see how dangerous it was. They actually pinned these the chambers to the floor uh, using these granite blocks, and, and then they pumped pressurized air in to keep the water and debris out. It was, it's really an amazing thing to see. You can Google, I'm sure, some images about it. The workers that worked on this project, they were known as sand hogs. Many of them were immigrants. They earned a couple dollars a day, and they were literally down there using shovels, using dynamite to clear the way, get all the mud out of there, get the rocks out of there. And they were just kept inching down closer to the bedrock. And eventually they got there. On one side of the bridge, the Brooklyn side, it was about 45 feet. The other side, it was a little shy of 80 feet on the Manhattan side. And then once they got the bedrock, they started laying the granite and then working their way back up to the surface. I mean, the conditions in these caissons were ridiculously uncomfortable. It was hot. There was, they had all kinds of side effects from headaches to bloody noses. I mean, what what ended up happening was they had to go down in these airlocks that would go down into the river and get filled with compressed air so that they could breathe while they were in the caisson. But the problem was a lot of them ended up getting the disease 
known as the Benz or also caisson disease, which happens because of the gas that gets into your bloodstream due to the pressure. In fact, John Roebling's son, Washington, had the disease and ended up being paralyzed for life. Parts of his body were paralyzed for life because of it. So it was just very, very challenging, obviously because of the time. This, a lot of this stuff was new, um, but it is an amazing, amazing experience. And there's a wonderful book if you really want to dive into this, The Great Bridge by David McCullough. He really gets into the mind of Roebling. I've read it. It's fascinating. And do visit the Roebling Museum in Trenton if you're in the area and if you can get there. If you're a civil engineer, you'll absolutely love it. So what are the benefits to society? I mean, I think they're obvious. I mean, it's one of the busiest bridges in New York City. Um, they estimate about 150,000 vehicles cross the bridge every day. And that's uh, that's a huge benefit to society. I think there's an, an aesthetic benefit. I think it's a symbol of the city in many ways. And one other point that I want to mention that a lot of people don't realize about the Brooklyn Bridge, at least from a civil engineering, sta- civil engineering standpoint, is that when Washington Roebling became paralyzed, his his wife, Emily, took charge of the bridge's construction, although he technically kept the role um, as overseeing the bridge, but she was really doing all the work. And what she did was amazing, and you could do a lot of research on her um, online, and again, in the in the other podcast episodes that I'll link to that I've done with the Roebling historian, you'll hear a little bit about Emily. But essentially, many people refer to her as one of the world's first women field engineers because she was out on site she was working so if you're if you're a woman in civil engineering she's a fascinating person to investigate i mean what she did to get that bridge accomplished was amazing in you know with everything else that happened john roebling died washington became paralyzed and then she kind of strong-armed it and got that project done and i thought that that was something that a lot of people don't talk about enough and i thought was kind of very interesting and relevant to the world of civil engineering So that's our first kind of civil engineering project segment, giving you a little overview of the Brooklyn Bridge. If you can ever get there and walk it, please do. And with that, let's now jump into our civil engineering conversation of the week. This idea of, you know, being up against the wall or, you know, like Amanda said, kind of a life or death situation is going to really motivate you and push you to broaden your horizons and maybe take risks that you haven't done before. It seems so scary to jump into a situation where there is a lot of risk, but then once you do it and you come out the other end, you're like amazed at what you've accomplished. But the bottom line is, is if you push forward, take some risks and believe in yourself, then you're going to be able to develop those leadership abilities. All right, now it's time for this episode's civil engineering conversation. And today I'm going to be speaking with Amanda Huffman. Amanda is a former Air Force member who has transitioned to being a stay-at-home mom and Air Force wife. She met her husband while attending California State University, Fresno. Since then, they have lived in New Mexico and Ohio and now California. They went from a couple to a family in the summer of 2013 when their son arrived. Amanda was deployed to Afghanistan on a provincial reconstruction team, PRT, and her team helped with the nation building of Afghanistan. Since Amanda's degree is in civil engineering, she had a lot to do with the missions off base, and she also began writing some letters home to kind of share her experience. So we're going to talk about that a bit because she does have her own website, airman2mom.com, which I'll list in the show notes for today's show, where she does share some of her experiences in the military. So we will get into that a bit. 
And also what we're going to talk a little bit about is kind of her leadership development in the military. So with that, I want to welcome in Amanda. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for the time. Um, my partner in ki- crime, Chris Knutson, highly recommended you as a guest. And um, really what we're going to talk about today is leadership development, but we're going to do it through me asking Amanda a bunch of questions about herself and kind of her whole experience as a civil engineer in the military. But um, Christian, who recommended that Amanda come on the show, from his perspective, what he saw in Amanda was a really a lot of leadership development after her deployment. So I want to dive into that a little bit. But first off, Amanda, why don't you kind of Tell everyone what drew you towards a career path focused on engineering and infrastructure in the Air Force. Uh, well, when I was in growing up, um, I learned a lot, or I really enjoyed uh, math and science, and I was actually going to school to get my degree in mathematics. Um, and at the same time, I was thinking about joining the Air Force and enlisting until I found out about the Reserve Officer Training Program. And as I learned more about the ROTC program um, and began to explore uh, what options it gave me, um, I was able to meet up with a cadet who was going through the program who was an electrical engineer uh, undergrad, and he recommended that instead of sticking with math, which led into more theory and not real numbers to focus on civil engineering. And I didn't really put a lot of thought into it. I just said, okay, and jumped in. (laughs) Okay, great. Tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you've performed over your career working in international infrastructure development. Well, before I left um, for Afghanistan, I was at Holloman Air Force Base, and we were doing um, a lot of construction and I was part of the Sabre office that worked on construction which really prepared me for when I went overseas um, because I it was a very similar job we would go out and watch what the contractors did make sure they were following the right codes process the payments and then I went overseas and did a similar thing just in a more dangerous situation Um, did I answer that question right yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I mean, I'm sure that these aren't your everyday challenges that civil engineers that listen to the show might experience. But then again, I think the the key thing here is, you know, I'm sure some of the stuff you learned, you'll be able to apply the same, you know, experiences here if you're working like a nine to five corporate job as compared to if you're in Afghanistan. But I guess, I guess to take it one step further, what I what I want to explore with you a bit is is from learning about you and talking with Chris a little bit, I understand that, you know, before you got deployed, or even maybe before that early on in your career, you know, like most engineers, you were probably young and maybe not so outgoing. I don't know that for sure, but from what Chris kind of told me is that when you went on your deployment, you really, you know, took that leadership role and you really developed your leadership abilities. And then when you came back, it was like you were kind of a whole different person, a whole different engineer. So I'm just wondering, you know, talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you had to do over there, maybe the responsibilities you had, or what what was it that really kind of helped you to develop your leadership abilities through your deployment? Um, I think uh, before I left, uh, Colonel Knudsen uh, sat me down and he told me that 
I would come across chasms um, while I was overseas and to jump because it's not that far. And it seems like something small and silly, but that like was kind of like my theme song through the deployment. And like, I didn't really have a choice because when you're getting shot at, you just do whatever you have to do to survive. And so I did jump and I had to take risks and do things that I would never have done. And it wasn't that far. And when I would come out the other end of the experience, I would be amazed at what I accomplished and what I had done. And I think through that, it gave me more self-confidence um, in my experiences and in my uh, ability to do whatever I was doing. And I think that was probably the biggest change was like, I didn't have all the self-confidence and um, faith in myself. And then after I went through the deployment, I came back home a different person because I went through so much with personalities and life and death situations and just engineering like on such a grand scale and being in charge with just one other engineer who was also a lieutenant and it was us two and 35 projects and you had to get it all done. Hmm. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And I think for those of you that might be listening that might be thinking, you know, well, I'm obviously not in Afghanistan. I'm maybe in my company here or whatever the case may be. I think some of the things that Amanda just said can be really extremely helpful because what I took away from that was, first of all, this idea of, you know, being up against the wall or, you know, <laughs> like Amanda said, kind of a life or death situation is going to really motivate you and push you to broaden your horizons and maybe take risks that you haven't done before. So if you're an engineer out there and you really want to take a risk or put yourself in a situation where you're going to truly motivate yourself, I'm just going to give you some examples that are by no means going to be anything like, you know, getting shot at, but there are some things that you can do that come to mind for me. And one of them, for example, if you want to take a PE exam, you want to get your license, Tell people you're taking it. Tell your boss you're taking it. You know, put your studying on the line, you know, and that kind of can motivate you. If you want to really move up in your company, maybe you tell your boss or supervisor that you're, you want to start a new department in the firm and you want to build up like a sustainability department. I think doing that, then all of a sudden, it's a risk. It's certainly a risk because you can fail. And anytime you can fail, it's a risk. But if you put yourself in that high pressure situation, then special things can happen, kind of like what Amanda just described to us. She she had never had to do these things before, but then she had to do them. So it's kind of a, a testament to Amanda, but it also tells us that there are things you can do in your own job to kind of apply some of this mentality to push yourself. W- would you agree with that, Amanda? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And it really, and like, it seems so scary to jump into a situation where there is a lot of risk, but then once you do it and you come out the other end, you're like amazed at what you've accomplished. Hmm, wow. All right, so talk to us about what do you think has been your greatest success so far or you know, in your engineering career? Uh, my deployment, I would say, is one of the like proudest moments of... Um, my career, I look back on it and I think sometimes I blog about it because I call it like the glory days because um, sometimes being a stay-at-home mom is not a glorious thing. <laughs> and so, um, but when we were over there, we got to work with the children a lot and we built a lot of schools. And I think just leaving that legacy of like 
the schools that we built and one school we completed while we were there and then we did like a post inspection and it was full of children and it was just amazing to see like the students learning and all the work that had been done like actually helping the community. Wow, that's awesome. That sounds like great work. So so building on that, let's talk about project management a bit because obviously you were building these schools, you were on this provincial reconstruction team and getting to do projects that really had an impact, which is awesome. But from the project management side of it, managing these different steps of the project, the people, you're in a different location like in Afghanistan, which I'm sure is not an easy place to work. Talk to us about some of the skills that you had to rely on in your project management work. I would say flexibility would probably be the main thing. Um, Nothing went as planned. We were dealing with a culture of people who didn't understand timelines. They didn't understand sustainment. They didn't understand the materials that needed to be used. We were building two-story schoolhouses and places that had mud huts because that's what the capital cobble was telling us that we had to do. And so we would ask the contractors for a timeline and they would say, oh, we'll be done in two months. And we looking at it could see that they wouldn't be finished in two months, but they just wanted to make us happy because that's what their culture um, said. And then the other big problem that we had was sustainment because we were building buildings that they had never seen before with electricity and generators um and trying to explain to them that a concrete building is just like a mud hut where you have to maintain it and sustain it and take care of it it's not just going to last forever without um taking care of it so it was just and we didn't really have the tools to like we had a five-person team and we had 35 projects and we couldn't really explain to them in a way that they could understand because you needed so much more time and so many more resources. So just trying to like push forward and do the best we could um, and make small gains and be proud of what we had accomplished um, and not focus on everything that was falling apart to just keep pushing forward. Hmm, that's great. Yeah. And and what I'm hearing there is really flexibility is is critical and also communication because you have to be flexible and then be able to communicate with your clients or the end users in you know what kind of challenges you're having and how it's going to affect the project and just as a civil engineer myself I know that while some of the examples I could give you aren't going to be on the same magnitude as maybe building a new school in Afghanistan but I remember even going to clients and trying to explain to them that listen we can't get another x number of townhouses on this site because we need to put stormwater in here or, you know, we found wetlands on the site, so now we're going to have to do a whole wetland mitigation and your site size is going to get cut down by a third. And you have to be flexible and you have to deal with that. If you're a younger civil engineer listening, you have to understand that probably 9 out of 10 projects that you design on a piece of paper are not going to get built that way because there's going to be field conditions that get encountered and you're going to have to be flexible and you're going to have to find solutions. And if you're an experienced or an executive civil engineer, I think... This is also an important mindset because the young engineers coming out of school today have a lot of different skills. So while you're used to doing something routinely one way, maybe using certain kinds of programs or certain kind of calculation methods, you might have to be flexible and open to the idea of some of the new and upcoming technologies that might help you overall as a 
individual and as a firm or department to be more effective. So um, Amanda really makes some great points here that I certainly think apply uh, across the board. Amanda, let me ask you this question for any of the listeners that might be interested in getting into specifically international development. What what would you say about, you know, having a global job, you know, working internationally? Anything you can offer as advice? Uh, just plan for it to take a lot of time. Before I left for Afghanistan, it was recommended to read Three Cups of Tea by Leadership. Um, and he talked a lot about how he went there to build schools, but when he like made the connection with the community, what they really needed was a bridge so that they could get to the local market, and then they built the school. And I think he had, um, I don't know why leadership didn't follow that, but he had figured out that you have to make a connection with the people and meet them at their level, and maybe you have a plan where you want to get them drinking water, um, which is a good plan, but that might not be what they actually need. Um, and they might need something else. So you need to listen and be flexible and know that whatever you do in international is going to take a long time, especially if it's uh, different languages. We had a lot of meetings when we were deployed where it was, well, we were with the French and then the Afghans and Americans. So it was three different languages and we would spend hours together and probably get like five minutes worth of what would be done if you were talking back and forth in English. Um, so it's just, it's, there's so many varying uh, problems that could come up. It's just going to take a lot of time. You just have to be really flexible and really dedicated to what, to helping the people and not focus on yourself. Great. Yeah, it seems like the word flexibility is something that continues to come up and, you know, hopefully that's something that um, everyone here can take away from that and understand that, you know, you have to be flexible as a civil engineer for so many reasons. I mean, when you work <laughs> with nature, you know, outdoors, I mean, things happen. Things are not always as planned. And, and also, you know, the whole idea of how, Amanda developed as a leader, just pushing yourself, you know, taking risks, understanding that, you know, not everything is going to be perfect all the time. Um, and you're going to be in some desperate situations at times. But the bottom line is, is if you push forward, take some risks and believe in yourself, then you're going to be able to develop those leadership abilities. Amanda, anything else you'd like to share with the audience about any of your experiences as a civil engineer? Obviously you've had some very interesting experiences and, and many that probably a lot of our uh, listeners in the corporate world don't get to experience on a regular basis. Is there anything you can share? Uh, just be open and flexible with whatever comes. And I always like, it's a military term or at least I've heard it a lot in the military, but to grow where you're planted. Um, when I was deployed, I didn't want to be on a PRT. I wanted to be in an Air Force deployment, not on an Army augmentee deployment. But that's not what was given to me. So just grow where you are, and people will see it. I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't know that Colonel Knutson noticed that much of a leadership change until now, years later. Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble. <laughs> no, it's it's really, especially as a stay-at-home mom. It's like so nice to hear, like. How much it, I don't know, it's, he, the things he said about me last week were, like, so nice, but, um, I don't, it's just, and, like, go for it, like you said, he said, 
Anthony said in the beginning, go and get your PE, go and take the EIT, do things that challenge yourself because in the end you're never going to regret what, even if you don't pass or even if it's not a success, you'll grow and you'll become a better engineer, person, leader. Um, so I would say just jump. Okay. All right. Excellent. And before I let you go, I'm going to just ask you two more questions. The first question is, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or some kind of a routine that helps you to um, you know, be successful, be productive? I mean, I know at this point you're a stay-at-home mom, and maybe it's something that you did when you were doing engineering, but I always try to find out if the guests have something that they, they routinely do. One thing that I did and I still do is I try and like read either uh, encouraging devotional every morning or even um, an engineering magazine because sometimes I like to be an engineer. But something to like that's totally doesn't have to do with kids or work, um, just something to focus my mind and like uh, get me going for the day. Okay. Excellent. And last question, and, and I know you already threw one book out there, but what is one book that you recommend to engineers regularly or just one book that you have found to be extremely helpful in your professional or personal development? I read uh, Good to Great when I was in the Air Force, and it talked a lot about um, about the companies and like all the statistics that he did to figure out like what companies. And one of the companies in there was Radio Shack, I think. And I just think it's interesting now that a bunch of the companies he wrote about in Good to Great are now failing companies because um, when you read Good to Great, you learn that the leadership is what makes the company and you have to always be ever-changing and keeping up with the time. So you can't get stuck in who, like the way it was done 20 years ago or even five years ago. You have to always be adapting and changing and keeping up with um, whatever's going on which especially with doing the blogging uh, part-time with all the different social medias, I couldn't just stay with Facebook. Now there's Instagram and Twitter and all and podcasts and all these things. So you have to, so I think that book's a really good book because it tells you a lot about like leadership and how the companies who were successful were successful because they had good leaders. It's not just because they had a good marketing campaign. Um, it's all about leadership. Excellent. And we'll be sure to link to that book in the show notes for this show, which you'll find at Civil Engineering Podcast. This is episode number two. And Amanda, we try to close out the show with something that I call Civil Engineering Career Elevator Advice. And what that is essentially is if you were to get into an elevator and you had about 20, 30 seconds with a civil engineer and you wanted to give him or her some advice on their career development, personal development, something that they could take away that you think would really impact their life. And I know some of it will be recapping what you said, which is fine, but just to close out the show, what would you say to that person? Uh, get your PE and take risk in whatever uh, job opportunities you have and just do whatever ta tasks that you're given uh, to the best of your ability because people will see the hard work that you're doing. Even if you think it's small, they'll see. Excellent. All right. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on the Civil Engineering Podcast today. 
Amanda, it was really a pleasure to have you. You've accomplished a lot in your career. And for those of you that want to, I guess, keep in touch with Amanda, they can get to you through your website at airman2mom. That's the word to T-O, airman2mom.com. Is that correct, Amanda? Yes, that's correct. And I reviewed the site a little bit. It looks like you share some of your experiences from the military and you know, just try to share them to inspire people. Yeah, I try and post about um, military experiences about once a week and then mom stuff the rest of the time. Okay, great. All right, well, thanks again, Amanda. I really enjoyed having you, and I really look forward to um, getting some feedback from our listeners on this show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.